and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. As always, I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you so much for joining us after our first two-week break to come and listen to the 68th episode of the show, and to once again banish another somehow willing guest to a deserted place in which they can only take eight games with them to play for the rest of their days. Joining me this week is a very different kind of guest. Our usual fare of video game industry guests has been previously intercepted in the past by musicians, YouTubers, and even voice actors, but this week marks the first time we've ever had a professional athlete on the show, or as I should say, former professional athlete, as I think my guest for this week is becoming increasingly more well-known these days within the realms of Twitter and YouTube as one of the most popular famous nerds out there. As a Brit expat living in Japan, I couldn't really be more ignorant to the sport in which my guest for this week specialised in. When I hear the words football, I think of perfectly round spears and teams from Manchester, not helmets, pads, and oddly shaped pigskins of the American football variety. But knowing a little about the sport and a lot about my guest, I'm incredibly excited to say that my guest is a former NFL punter who played for the Seattle Seahawks and spent eight years at the Minnesota Vikings and finished his career at the Oakland Raiders. I'm totally too scared because of my ignorance to list all of his incredible achievements, stats and records broken during his time as a player, but I can tell you, since retiring from football, my guest has gone on to do so much in such a short amount of time, taking up roles for writing, featuring on tabletop shows such as Day 9 Spellslingers and Will Wheaton's Tabletop, playing in a band with game informers Andrew Rayner, and even producing his very own tabletop board game called Twilight of the Gods. All of this while also pursuing and being an incredible advocate for LGBT rights, same-sex marriage, and speaking out against the current political situation in America. Now you might think it's strange for a former NFL star to be finding his end on a show about being banished to a video game deserted island, but even during his time as an NFL star, my guest for this week was well known and very proud about his passion for gaming, even speaking on Conan about his love of World of Warcraft, which might answer why his Twitter handle is at Chris Warcraft. I'm incredibly excited to say that joining me this week is former NFL punter and incredibly handsome chap, Mr. Chris Cluey. Hello Chris. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that introduction. That, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Well, I'm sure you are. And I I have been reading a lot about you recently. And I, I followed you on Twitter for a very long time. And I think you'll be absolutely fine. No oh, thanks. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to do this. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Um, I am at home waiting uh, for the kids to finish school so I can pick them up because uh, one of my other primary jobs these days is the stay-at-home dad. So uh, I get to take care of them, shuttle them around, make dinner, and uh, do all the wonderful chores of being at the house. And is that the sweet deal where you also just get to play video games all day long and then pretend you've been doing things? (laughs) <laughs> Some days I do, yes, which is amazing, because, uh, yeah, who doesn't want to stay at home and play video games all day long? But, yeah, <laughs> m- most days I'm, I'm working on stuff, wh- whether it's writing or doing stuff for, um, for the card game or, uh, you know, just various other things that are going on. So, uh, yeah, usually I'm fairly busy. Yeah, you seem to be a man of many talents. You've written a book, you have produced a board game, you were a professional athlete, like... How have you managed, as someone who is definitely, I would describe myself as a jack of all trades, master of none, like I'm not very good at one particular thing, but maybe have my fingers in many different pies. How are you so good at 
many different things. Like that makes me <laughs> jealous. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm. Uh, I, I. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I. I think one of the reasons, though, might be is. Um, one of the things that really allows athletes to succeed at the professional level is just being able to focus solely on what it is that you're doing in that moment. So, okay. So when I'm doing something like when I was playing football, so when I was out on the field kicking the football, that was 100% of my focus and concentration was on doing that job. And then I sort of took that mindset and uh, just applied it to everything else where if I'm, you know, writing rules for for a board game, that's 100% of my focus is doing that to the best of my ability. And then um, same goes for anything else. If I'm playing video games, 100% of my focus is on playing video games. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the main reason why. Excellent. It's it's weird. One the, like the main thing I've been thinking about about asking you because it, it's hard to approach this in my usual way. Like I have experience with the games industry and stuff like that, so I can bounce off my own relevant experience and ask creators of other things. But I am not a professional athlete at all. I played what my football soccer to you for mm. a very long time, but not at a professional level, to a pretty high level, but not the highest which I wish I did. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like what the main thing I actually was thinking about, like asking you is like, especially coming off the back of you saying that focus. So obviously I've, I know a lot about sort of sports and growing up and going to school, especially in America, there's like a huge focus on people who are good at sports, you know, going through like college and stuff like that. And that being like their sole focus, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. So the one thing I was thinking about, if you had like, all this time when you were a kid sort of focusing so much on football, how did you end up being so fascinated by video games and board games? How did you find the time to even like approach those things when you were younger? Yeah, so um, so it's interesting because when I was a kid, like my parents were never really. You have to spend all day practicing. You know, do this, do this, do this. It was. Yeah. They they wanted me and my brother to do a lot of different things, and so. But but the thing was, when we were doing any one particular thing, it was always you know do it to the best of your ability. So growing up, um, I actually didn't even play football growing up. I played soccer and baseball growing up, and um, never played football until high school because uh, I needed a fall sport. And um, for me, it was okay. I had I had soccer growing up. I had baseball growing up. I had uh, violin lessons growing up. Um, you know, I had I had video games. I love to read. I love sci-fi and fantasy. And so it was more keeping a balance between all those things. Where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go to soccer practice for you know two hours or whatever it is. But then yeah. when I get back, now I'm gonna do something else. And and I feel like that's where a lot of parents kind of go wrong is they feel that their kids in order to be a professional athlete it has to be 24 7 you're just you're doing this sport over and over and over yeah and the problem is you're gonna burn out your kid if you do that like i because i was kind of on that level in terms of soccer um because i played on a club team uh we, yeah. we were fairly good and by the time i hit high school like i just i didn't want to play soccer anymore i was i was just so done with it so yeah i, I think as um who was it uh Aristotle is either Aristotle or Socrates, you know, moderation in all things. Yeah. So I've, I've tried to subscribe to that philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. But I, I think people also tend to neglect how they thought or felt as a kid. Kids do not have great attention spans and you're trying to make a kid do one thing so much and they see all the other kids doing so many other different things, like growing up around them, talking about all these different like TV shows maybe they're watching or playing video games. Like, there is no way that kid is going to want to stick to that. 
Right. Yeah. It's uh, well, and then I will say though, on the other side of the coin, is that moderation in all things also applies to the amount of video games you consume. So, like for me, for example. If it was up to me, I would have spent my entire childhood doing nothing else other than playing video games and reading science fiction <laughs> and fantasy. <laughs> that would have been it. But my, my parents were like, no, you need to be outside. You need to be running around. You need to be doing stuff. So, so I think that you, you have to have that balance from both sides where, you know, make, make time to have fun, make time to play games, but also make time to, to run around and do stuff and, and be active and physical. Because if you, if you do both and you can do both, you know, it's, it's very easy to do both. Then yeah. You you're probably going to be a lot more fulfilled than if you just go hyper specialized in one or the other. There you go. For anyone who's like a prospective parent or a brand new parent, there you go. You need to follow Chris's parents is sort of advice and do that because <laughs> look how Chris turned out. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, well then, and like, and for me again, the, the thing was, is that my parents always said, you know, if you're going to do something, do it to the very best of your ability. And, you know, it's okay if you're not the best, but as long as you did everything that you could, then that's all you could have done. And, you know, you have nothing to regret, nothing to look back on. And um, I've just tried to apply that to pretty much everything that I've done in my life. So in terms of, like, applying this to video games then, are you good at video games? I I don't want to brag, but I'm really good at video games. Wow, <laughs> this is this is interesting. This is very interesting. Because I, I know in the past... Um, some things that have sort of been highlighted, especially because of who you are and your sort of um, background as an NFL player. And then at the time you were talking about video games, you know, like World of Warcraft and League of Legends and that kind of thing. They, they, they were like competitive um, sort of they couldn't they can be competitive. I know you were in like one of the top guilds in World of Warcraft for a long time. And you were you played Eddie Carey in League of Legends, all very competitive you know, sort of very fitting for like an NFL player to be, if they were transferring to video games, to be playing these competitive games. So is that sort of like a natural thing you are drawn to anyway as well in video games? Yeah, I, I think I'm a very competitive person at heart. And um, that was actually one of the things that I had to learn was when to dial that back, you know, because sometimes you just want to play games to have fun. And it's like... It's not fun for the other person if you just curb stomp them every time. Like they're probably <laughs> not going to want to come back and play against you. So like I've I've kind of developed like two different modes of, of playing games. Like the first one is okay, we're just gonna play relaxed. Um, I'm not really that concerned about the outcome of the game because we're both just looking to have a good time. And yeah. I find as I get older, more I tend to play more and more games that way just because it's a bit less stressful. But then there's the other mode, which was how I was primarily as a kid, which was I'm going to win. <laughs> and I'm going to win no matter what. Like, I, I am <laughs> going to beat you. And, uh, yeah, that that can be a bit more stressful. Although I will say I've been playing Destiny 2 lately, and um, I've been playing Trials, and you get you get pretty sweaty in Trials. It's uh, <laughs> definitely a, uh, a game mode where it's like, okay, I really want to win. Like, and the other people <laughs> on my team are, we really want to win. So, you know, it's n never anything, like, bad where we're yelling and screaming at each other, but you can tell we we are all competitive and we do want to win these matches. It's weird because I mean, I know what your eight games are and I think people are going to be sitting there and thinking like a million games in their head now that are all super competitive or like multiplayer, like games like Counter-Strike and stuff like that. And like your list could not be far from that 
which is <laughs> which is fantastic. Like I know what the eight games are, and the secrets will all be revealed soon enough. But it's quite incredible to sort of have this sort of feeling you have about being competitive and stuff like that. But then your list is so the antithesis of that. More about solo. Oh, your own satisfaction on your own and not playing with anyone else, which is which is interesting. So why do you think you have, maybe when you're choosing this sort of, the eight games that you've chosen for final games, why have you sort of strayed more towards like solo stuff than this sort of competitive nature that you have? Um, to be honest, I think it's because uh, when I was growing up, the internet really wasn't a thing yet. So if you were playing competitive games, um, generally you were either playing them on the same console, on the same TV, you were playing sp split screen, or you were playing at like a, a LAN cafe where okay. you, know, as you and your friends would go there and, and just play on a local network. And so I think for, for me, a lot of the kind of competitiveness that I had was mainly against the people that I knew of my friends. And then when I started getting better than everyone, it was, and, and I don't want to sound like arrogant or like, you know, I'm the best, <laughs> no one can beat me. But but it very much was, okay, like, we've we've been playing this game for, you know, four months, five months, and it's pretty clear, like, I'm going to win. So after, after I've established, okay, I, I know what the game rules are, I know how to break the universe, I know, you know, what the optimal strategies are and everything, then at that point, the conclusion's kind of foregone. And so, you know, I, I want a different experience. You know, I want something that I can play on my own. I want something that doesn't require me to have someone else there because sometimes your friends aren't there. You know, some, sometimes yeah. you don't have a chance to play against someone else and you still want to play games. You still want to have a good time. And, and that's where single player games, you know, well-crafted single player games really do, do a, a great job at giving you that experience. I like your honesty. I like your honesty about being very good, which is... Interesting, especially now, I think, because there's almost this sort of negative image about these people online who are like, get good, scrub, and like, right. I'm great. <laughs> like, right. well, 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 it's this it's, sort of esports culture that's come through. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's also how you portray yourself, too, though, because like, like the way I've always looked at it was, and, and this was, I think, probably coming from sports, where like my, my coaches, especially like my high school coaches and stuff, and then as I got older, um, it was, you know, act like you've been there before, right? Like if you, if you score a touchdown, if you score a goal, if you hit a home run, it's okay to celebrate for a bit, but like don't make it into this huge production because you're expected to do that. You're expected to be the uh, best. Okay. You're expected, you know, to, to do the job to the best of your abilities. So you don't need to teabag someone if you just <laughs> killed them. <laughs> like you, don't, you, you, you don't need to overly trash talk someone to, to try to drive them off. Like, that's, that's not necessary. Um, now, that being said, if someone does try to teabag me or, or start stuff, you know, I'm more than happy to, <laughs> to take it back <laughs> to, to them. follow but, through. <laughs> right, but, but I'm not going to be the one that initiates that because I don't, I don't think it's necessary towards, you know, towards that gaming experience. So do you think in this modern day then, in 2017, considering the, the big money in esports now, given a different path in life and you'd, you know, you'd played video games a lot more uh, and maybe this had hit a little earlier in your career before the football kicked off, do you reckon maybe you'd be like in an esports team? Do you reckon that would have been like the path that you might have gone on? Oh, for sure. If I had been born 15 years later, I, I would have been on a professional esports team of some sort because uh, I... I had the reflexes like I have obviously I don't have them anymore. I'm 35 now, <laughs> I'll be 36 at the end of the year. So, well, and that, that's one of the crazy things about esports is that by the time you're like 24, 25, like yeah. that's it. 
You, you just you physically can't compete anymore. And um, I mean, that's not to say these guys are, are scrubs. Like they'll still smash 99% of the population. It's just you, you no longer have quite that elite level of twitch reflexes because your body just doesn't doesn't keep up anymore. But um, yeah, no. If I if I had been born 10, 15 years later, I, I could see myself on a uh, like a Counter Strike team or a League of Legends team. Uh, excellent. That would have been crazy. Like that sort of. It's amazing how that sort of competitive edge and that sort of natural instinct for sports has transferred over to esports and it gives i think gives even more weight to that you, you know someone like you being able to say well look at these very similar and distinctive tri- attributes that you need as a person like reflexes and sort of that that competitive edge it gives more weight to the sort of uh, authenticity i think of esports being like a very competitive and very unique sport almost you know, mm-hmm. there's still those people out there who don't give it the legitimacy that it is a real thing. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, and that's something that's always baffled me. Are is is people that that say, "Oh, esports, that's not a real sport. How can that be a sport?" It's like these guys have to react at speeds that are basically equivalent to like major league batters facing a 90, 95 mile an hour fastball. Like you, you have to have reflexes to play these games at the elite level. And yeah, you're not running around and tackling people, but you're still having to maintain focus for hours at a time. And you know, if, if you ask a normal person, Hey, can you stay focused on something for three and a half hours? They're probably not going to be able to do it. And on top of that, you also, in a lot of these games now, you have to interact with your teammates. You know, it's not just you as a solo player, although there are some games, uh, primarily the fighting games that are solo player, but the vast majority of them are now team games where it's like, okay, if you and the team aren't clicking on the same page, if you haven't practiced together, if you don't know how to react to various situations and what your teammates are going to do, then you're not going to win the game. And that's what sports is. You're, You're working with your team to win the game. Absolutely, and it may and it absolutely fascinates and amazes me um, when I watch maybe sort of League of Legends highlights or something like that, and you are you are watching the visuals of the game, which can be like a, a, a for lack of a better word, a clusterfuck of uh, you know particles and animations. Oh, it's and a catastrophuck. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> catastrophe. I like it. I like it very much. Catastrophuck. <laughs> it's an absolute catastrophuck of just animations and all these you know fantasy looking characters that not really are what your brain can process normally it's not like a normal human being and all these stuff going off and and these and the, the speed at which these players are able to like digest that visual information and then call shots to their other players and then watch what the other players are doing and then react to that in such incredible speeds it's like how would you not have the respect for these guys and what they do it's so incredible and you know it's starting to make sense why they get paid so much now and why it's mm-hmm. such big money yeah it's well and, and that's something where you'll he'll, you're you'll hear people a lot in american football talk about the speed of the game right like that witnessing it on tv is way different than actually like being down on the field and seeing it or even being on the field like in the action and seeing it and that's totally true like these these plays take place so quickly and there's so much going on that in order to be a professional football player you have to be able to absorb all this information and react on it and league of legends is no different it's if if you've got five heroes on a side each one's got to keep track of you know four different abilities and then react to what the other ones are doing and encounter are taking place within the span of like three to four seconds i mean that that's the same type of decision making process that goes into being a successful american football player incredible so amazing 
Well, we're going to drag it back a little bit to you then, because we're about to send you off now to a deserted island where you can only take eight games to play um, for the rest of your days. Are you, are you kind of cool with the whole being banished for eternity kind of thing now? Uh, I, I think I'm okay with it. As long as it gets me away from Trump, I'll be okay with it. It definitely so. get, That's the one benefit of being banished on Final Games is you're going to a completely different realm away from that guy. We've... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> when, does, when does the ship leave? <laughs> well, we have to talk about eight games first before we can send you on your way. So if you hold on just a little longer, we'll, we'll get the we'll get the ship prepped, and then we'll get the eight games prepped as well, and then we can send you on the way. So I think it's about time we actually start talking about the eight games that you've chosen because it's such a fascinating list and took me wildly by surprise just how awesome it really is it was such heavy hitters all the way throughout so why don't we listen to some incredible music from this first game and a game that's become relevant again considering the super nintendo classic mini that released today i think in north america and yesterday here in japan um so people are going to be playing it again which is great because it's one of the best JRPGs of all time. So let's listen to some incredible music and let's dive straight into Chris's final games. So jumping into Chris's final games then, and the first game on his list is an absolute favorite of mine. It's one of my favorite games of all time, and po quite possibly my favorite JRPG ever. It's an incredible entry in the Final Fantasy series that released all the way back in 1994 under a different name in North America originally. Chris, can you tell me what the name was in North America when you played it? Yes, the name in North America was Final Fantasy III because we had no idea that there was more than two Final Fantasy games at the time. There were actually five, and this was the sixth one. And so it's the real name yeah. is Final Fantasy VI. Final Fantasy VI, developed by Square and directed by Kitase, taking over from the one and only Hironobu Sakaguchi, who, since the last recording of Final Games, I went to Tokyo Game Show last week, and I managed to meet the one and only Sakaguchi-san for the first time, and I had a brief conversation with him about how terrible of a video game show the Tokyo Game Show really is. And I got a lovely picture, and he signed some nice things. So I'm very excited to talk about this, considering my events last week, which was so cool. But yeah, this originally released on the Super Famicom back in 1994, and released again on multiple platforms throughout the span of the video game generation since PlayStation, Game Boy Advance, Android, PC, and also, once again, yesterday on the Super Nintendo Famicom Mini. Chris, 
you're going to be taking Final Fantasy VI with you. But are you are you also going to be playing the Super Famicom Mini and playing Final Fantasy VI again? Well, so I, I have kind of a confession to make. Um, I have an SNES emulator on my laptop. <laughs> so I mean, it's the same I, uh, thing. Nintendo just put an emulator in a little box right. and sold it. So it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so, so I probably won't be buying the SNES Mini. Um, kids, don't break the law like I did. I'm, I'm a bad example. Don't do it. <laughs> I can see but, the headlines uh, tomorrow. Chris Clue yeah, steals right? games. <laughs> Arrested for video game theft. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love this game. Like, it is, it is my top game of all time, and... And um, really, I, th- I think, so. yeah, no, I, I th- and I think the reason why is because um, back in the Super Nintendo era, you know, the, there was only so much you could do with graphics. So for a lot of games, that meant relying on sprite graphics, and, you know, those have aged really, really well. But the most important thing about Final Fantasy VI is the story. Like, this, to me, this was the first game that I had played that actually felt like, holy crap, like, I'm it feels like I'm reading a science fiction fantasy book. Like there is a legit story in this game. And, and I think it's a story that's withstood the test of time too. Like I can still go back and play it and be like, yes, this story is amazing. Well, it's this incredible duality between what Final Fantasy was really known for, which was all the sort of medieval stuff, especially coming off the back of four and five, which were super medieval and had like knights and lances and mages and all Mm -hmm. these kind of things. And then, Six was just like, especially like anyone who knows Six will know the the intro to the game is so famous. The da 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 through the snow, walking in the Magitek armor, and being all of a sudden being like, "Holy fuck! What 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 is this? This is a Final Fantasy game? Like they have fucking robots, machines in it? What the fuck's going on?" And um, it saw this sort of let's say industrial revolution because that's what the game's about. <laughs> like this yep. industrial revolution of you know medieval meets science they make this sort of thing called magitech and then it all goes on from there and it was this real big change in final fantasy which i can imagine spoke to your sci-fi loving child at the time yeah well and, and it was also just the scope of the game i mean like when i first played through it that first battle with the um with the atma weapon you know on the the flying island yeah like I was expecting that to be the end of the game. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get through that part and it's like, holy crap, the entire world just changed and there's still more game to play. Like that, that blew my mind as a kid because I had never seen anything like it before. It's weird because there's one thing I tend to try, I I try my best to stay out of all those sort of video game arguments about what's best, what's this, what's the best Final Fantasy, and all those kind of things. And personally, the one thing I'll always fight for is that Kefka is the greatest video game villain of all time. Oh, he's fantastic. He's He's, so good. He's so good. Like, I will fight that to the death. He is literally one of the greatest video game villains of all time. Because he wins. He achieves what he sets out to do, which is absolutely maddening for a video game player. Like... Right. Everything well, you like, do fa- fails. <laughs> yeah, like 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 he he has this evil scheme and he makes it happen. Like you you were not good enough to stop him from breaking the world, so you better hope <laughs> you're good enough to keep him from cracking it entirely. It's incredible. Like this clown who is in the start of the game, which is I think one of Final Fantasy VI's strongest points. They play off Kefka as this sort of joke character, 
and he appears and he has this funny laugh and he's kind of like behind the king and he's just a you know he's like a he's like a court jester or whatever mm-hmm. and he's he's sort of playing in the background and you're like oh he's you know sort of he's comic relief he's comic <laughs> relief almost and then you know it gets more and more and you're like oh Kefka's definitely gonna like betray you or something and something and then bad he just starts murdering people <laughs> yeah then he just turns out to be a complete and utter like murderous psychopath who then pretty yeah. much ends up destroying almost the entirety of the world like so good so, so yeah so good <laughs> yeah I, I cannot recommend final fantasy 6 enough like it is it is by far the best game i think that has been created in terms of video games which is incredible because like i imagine you grew up during that peak super famicom time and <clears throat> especially in america europe was not so lucky we didn't get the abundance of jrpgs you did it took so long before we even fucking got a actual official release of chrono trigger which is oh god tragic enough um what is it so specifically about like final fantasy 6 considering games like you know even like just before it final fantasy 4 which was 2 um Mm -hmm. which also had that sort of scope too and chrono trigger what is it specifically about 6 that just makes that like the best game ever oh i i think for me it was the fact that when the world breaks um you can choose whether or not you regain the characters in your party and and it's it's actual like meaningful choice too. Like for example, like if you don't wait for Shadow on the island, you can't get him in the second half of the game. Like he's dead. You killed yep. him. Um, same thing. Like there, you can actually save Sid. Like if you find the healthy fish. Like like he he doesn't have to die. That's your choice if he dies or not. And so I I, I think for me it was really that that idea that these character stories had been built up over the first half of the game to where you really felt like, okay, this is my party. Like, I, I am invested in these people. And then when the world breaks and they, they all get scattered, it's like, well, shoot, I really want to track them down, but it's going to be hard to track them down. Like, I mean, especially your first time through the game and then considering in mind that this was back before, like, the internet and game facts and stuff like that, like, <laughs> trying to track everyone down meant you had to spend a lot of time going through the game. Yeah. And Final Fantasy VI is no walk in the park either. It's a pretty difficult game. Yeah, it's uh well, well so and and I think that's also actually one of the other things that I really liked about it was it had it had a lot of pop culture references too. Like like the idea that that Saban, you know, he he does a Hadouken motion to throw <laughs> his his energy beam thing. You know, like just just like you have Wedge and Biggs as the you know as the Magitek soldiers. <laughs> it's just like all these little things where where it showed like they knew they were they were trying to create something epic, but at the same time they're also willing to have fun with it, and I, I think that really shines through the game. So progressing on from that, then I imagine this is sort of the you fall in love with the Final Fantasy series, and then going on from that, have you continued to be a fan of the series throughout? You know, after six being as fantastic as six was it's hard to ignore the fact that the game that came after was seven and seven right. almost was like a cultural revolution in video games did you sort of follow on with the 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 final fantasy series and stay a, as a fan or was like six just a highlight of the series for you yeah so so i have actually played every final fantasy game from one all the way up through god was the latest one 15 i think that is Um, fantastic (laughs) yeah it's some of them have been really really good some of them have been not so good uh looking at you 13 and (laughs) what was it like 12 x 2 5 whatever the uh yeah some some were just not great um 
I played the first online one, the MMO. I think that, what was that one? 11. 11 I want to say. Yeah, yeah, 11. That one was uh, a grind fest. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was one of the few MMOs that I just I could not get into because it basically it was once you got past like level eight you had to group up. And I was like, well, I want to play a game that I can play on my own at some times. Yeah. But um, yeah. No, I I think for the most part, um, I I was really into the series all the way up through. Uh, about 10, I would say. Yeah, 10, because 10 was like, a lot of people consider 10 to be when the series maybe took a shift a little bit down. I mean, 11 was incredibly right. successful, but it was an MMO. It was completely different. Right. People were not big fans of 12. I think at the time, a lot of people now consider it to be an underrated gem. And with the international yeah. release la- uh, this year, it's got a new love. We tend not to talk about 13. Yeah, <laughs> God. We tend not to talk about <laughs> <Please> 13. <don't. laughs> um, 14, though, has been an incredible success for Square Enix and has... I don't know if you've you've jumped into 14 or you were too burned by 11 back in the day, but 14 has yeah. is a fantastic game. And then, obviously, 15 has, I think, mostly been positive um, and sort of put the series back on the right track. But, yeah, since 10, I think, you know, the series has sort of had a a little bit of a dodgy name around it. Yeah, it's it, it's it's almost felt like they've I don't know, it's, it they've they've kind of lost what it meant to be Final Fantasy, where it it felt like they it wasn't that they were trying to do too much, it was just it kind of felt like it went in weird directions and the story suffered because of it. Where, where you have like these kind of nonsensical plot lines and it's like well why why am I really playing this like there's not there's nothing that's really grabbing me so there's no crazy yeah, w- dancing mad clown for me to defeat what's what, what am I supposed to do <laughs> right exactly there, there's there's no one-winged angel like <laughs> how am I supposed to get into this game but uh, yeah no I I think um so yeah you mentioned 15 uh, actually so 14 I have tried to play 14. Um, but Square Enix's registration system or whatever they use would not accept my credit card for some oh, reason. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so yep, that's... that's why I never got into 14. <laughs> so that killed that dead. <laughs> yeah, that, that killed that one. And then uh, 15 was okay. Um, I got, God, I think I got about like two-thirds of the way through it, and then I got towards that final part. I was just like, nope, nope, I don't have enough time these days. <laughs> Which so. is a shame because I think, I think personally, I think one of 15's strongest points I think is its ending. It's. Mm-hmm. I think the ending, um, especially considering we're talking about story, 15, I think, it did a very similar thing to 6 for me, which it, it started off sort of very insular and very small, but then by the mm-hmm. end is this very emotional and world-breaking sequence of events that it, just the scale is beyond epic and i think i think that's one of 15 strongest points so i do recommend if you especially if you're three quarters of the way through if one day you get the chance to finish it well you're getting banished to an island today so maybe not but yeah, if you did maybe not today <laughs> you should you should uh you should definitely try and finish it because the ending to that game is very emotional and very good yeah i i think the other reason why i stopped playing was um i think it was horizon zero dawn had just come out and I picked that up and then was just instantly hooked. Like that I I probably should have put Horizon Zero Dawn on my list somewhere because that game is phenomenal, but there were unfortunately not enough entries. You are the and, first uh, you are the first guest to talk about that specific weekend of releases in the more positive Horizon Zero Dawn like considering the game that came out the same day as it, which was 
Breath of the Wild, and you are the first guest to talk more about the Horizon side of that weekend than the yeah. the Breath of the Wild side. Right. Well, so, well, so so here's the thing though is that like yeah, Breath of the Wild, yeah, it's Zelda, yeah, it's open world. They've got a cool physics engine, but when you look at the story of Horizon Zero Dawn and you look at just all the little pieces of that world that go into making it a living, breathing world, like it is, I cannot recommend it enough. It it is fantastic. Well, it might not have made your list, but you got the you got the nice little you crowbarred it in there. You got the nice yeah, right. little mention for it. <laughs> well, we're gonna move on to your next game now. We're gonna we're gonna stray away from Final Fantasy VI, and we're gonna move into the next game, which is a another Super Famicom uh, RPG. But it's the only one. It's the only game on your list that I haven't played. Actually, mm. this is a series that I've played the sort of variants of in uh, other sort of areas so why don't we listen to some music from the next game and let's of course dive straight into it So Chris, before we jump into the second game on your list, we are sending you to a deserted place uh, to spend the rest of your days. Um, but you know, we're allowing you to take eight games, so we're obviously semi sort of nice about it. <laughs> I mean, we're banishing. Is, is you there any food and water at this place? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Do, <laughs> just yeah, the games. Don't worry about the survival <laughs> aspect. That, that's fine. You just worry. Okay, about, that's you good. Just worry about the games. We got everything else covered. But the one thing we do ask of you is that. We need you to decide the deserted place in which you're going to spend the rest of eternity. Um, so we allow you the pleasure of being able to choose where it is you're going to spend. But obviously, the caveat is that it's deserted, so no one can help you. Um, but if maybe you choose a place that has like dangerous wildlife or dangerous video game enemies, then, well, that's your own fault. So the place you have to choose from is a place from video games. So if you oh. can think of a realm or a world or a space from any video game that you would like to you know chill up playing final fantasy 6 <laughs> for the rest of your days this, this sounds like a terrible choice because every single video game is designed to kill you <laughs> yes absolutely oh <laughs> uh, man that's that's a tricky one uh actually you know what um I'm going to go live in the world of Duck Hunt because since it's deserted, it means that stupid dog won't be there laughing at me. That's true. But considering like, considering you shoot the ducks, which would make the ducks the enemies, the ducks would right, be well, there, I'm, right? I, I'll, I'll take my chances against the ducks. Yeah? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could punt a duck. Like, that doesn't <laughs> seem like a problem. You could also eat the ducks. 
to be fair. Yeah, that's that too. If I wanted some variety, you know, get some duck meat. See, the only problem I have with the duck hunt sort of situation, though, is the 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 area, the space in which you are in is very small. True, but if I'm playing video games the whole time, then I'm not really that concerned about it. No, you'll have all these massive worlds to explore virtually instead. Yep. <laughs> Which is about the cheesiest thing I think I've ever said on this video, <laughs> on this podcast of cliches about video games. <laughs> so, uh, well, I mean, to be fair, I, I, I'm always trying to game the system, so... <laughs> uh, you getting What's there? the best outcome for me in terms of the <laughs> options I can choose from? Can you imagine someone picks, like, Resident Evil or Parasite Eve? Like, <laughs> see ya. Well, well, one of the first... Uh, Andy Kelly, who is one of the writers for PC Gamer, he chose the... The ship from Alien Isolation. And I mean, why? <laughs> I mean, that was a surprise. <laughs> you might as well go with Dead Space. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like. the, the Ishimura from Dead Space. That is definitely right. a space I would like to be deserted on. With yeah, that'll be fine. Necromorphs. Ignore the screaming and the flashing lights. <laughs> well, we're going to allow. We're going to ship you off then after these eight games to the sort of. I wonder if it has a name. I don't think it has a name. The field. The field. Yeah, I think the field. Hunt? The field. Yeah. yeah, the field. So we're g- you can go and punt some ducks in the field while playing the next game, which is another Super Famicom game that was developed by Quest, not Square Enix at the time. But you might know the designer of this game, which was Matsuno-san, who went on to do Final Fantasy XII, Final Fantasy Tactics, which is a game we might talk about in a little while, um, and also the sort of tactics battle series. And that genesis for that series comes from this original game, which is a real-time tactics role-playing game that was developed by Quest and released all the way back in 1993, which is before Final Fantasy VI, which kind of blew my mind a little. But it released in North America in 1995 for the Super Famicom. It's also been released on PlayStation, Sega Saturn. It was on the Wii U Virtual Console as well. And it goes all the way back to Ogre Battle, The March of the Black Queen. Chris, why is Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen, going with you? Oh, man, because this is probably my second-rated game of all time after Final Fantasy VI. Wow. Um, It's weird because people might know Tactics Ogre Letters Cling Together, like the successor to this game. That was wildly Mm -hmm. more popular than March of the Black Queen. Right, yeah. So it's weird to hear you say that. Yeah, so so for me, because really what it brings back to me is um, as a kid uh, back you know when Warehouse and Blockbuster were things that you could go rent games from stores excuse me what, uh, what, are, what are those what's, what's a Blockbuster I know right <laughs> way, way, way back in the distant past uh, <laughs> so we, we had a um, we had a warehouse like five minutes walking distance from, uh, from my parents house and um, so I would go down there and look for games to rent and one day, um, just kind of on a whim, I decided to rent Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. Because, uh, you know, I looked at the box art. It looked interesting. I, I had no idea what the game was about. But I was like, oh, this looks cool. I'll give it a shot. And um, I took it home. And about a month later, the warehouse called up and said, you know, if you just want to buy this, it'll probably be cheaper. Because <laughs> I had kept it the entire time and was playing it nonstop. And it was, like, I, I think for me the things that really... That, that really kind of struck me about the game was, um, first off, it was a real-time strategy game on the SNES, which there weren't any of those at the time. 
I mean, you're you're you know you're sending your your units around the map. Um, you can pause it. You could like slow down time. You could speed up time. But it was definitely you like you had to have like some strategy in in terms of what you were gonna do. Yeah. And and then um, the story was again another amazing story. And the reason why is because it subverted the expectations of the player in terms of what you would normally do in these types of games. So normally in you know a game like this where you have a unit of of characters that will level up over time as they get experience um you create one big super unit that then just goes and kills all the enemies right okay that's, that's sort of that's sort of the plan well in ogre battle march of the black queen there was a stat called alignment and you could have it went from zero to a hundred and basically it determined how good or evil you were now if you killed under leveled enemies with an over leveled unit your alignment would go down <gasps> until eventually you were at zero wow that's awesome yes and then when you went to go liberate towns because you were trying you were this rebellion you're trying to take back the countryside if you liberate it with an evil unit your reputation goes down and that affects how the story plays out <laughs> so like the first time through that I played the game, I did, you know, standard JRPG, you know, I'm going to power level my guys, I'm going to go liberate all these towns, I'm going to collect money, and I ended with the worst possible ending. Like people <laughs> hated me, my guy was assassinated after like 2 months. <laughs> it was like it was awful. And and I look at this ending, I'm like how did that happen? <laughs> so, and so there was this depth to the game where it was, okay, you, you had to figure out, okay, how am I going to balance around the fact that, yeah, I need powerful units to, to help defeat some of these later enemies and to make my way through the game, but at the same time, like, I have to keep my character so that people like him or her. Like, I, I have to actually be beloved by the countryside in order to liberate them and, and get the best ending. And then it had all these, like, secret things in the game where you could, uh, there was a whole bunch of, like, secret maps that you could find if, um, but you had to do, like, the right things in the right order. Um, some, some of them depended on your alignment. Um, some of them depended on how fast you got through the game. So it, it was just all these possibilities, and, and I just, I loved playing it. it. It had, like, this weird battle system, right? right. It wasn't quite, like, like a turn-based RPG, but it was like you, like you would watch the battle unfold after like choosing yes. your tactics. So you would like right, choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't remember like going off tactics. Ogre, let's cling to. It's like weak, strong, normal. Or yes. Like you would choose like a type of an attack, and then you would watch like the battle unfold in front of you, and something like that, which is kind of a weird system. Yeah, it was it, it was it was really cool because like you as the player had no had limited direct agency over what your unit or what your individual characters within a unit could attack. So the battle system was um, weak, strong, leader, or runaway. Um, runaway, obviously you run away. Um, weak meant that all the, all the characters in that unit would attack the enemy with the lowest hit points. In addition, it would also give you a negative reputation modifier because you're beating up on the weak. <laughs> so <laughs> if you really wanted to take out enemy units, you could go weak you know, to get them out of the picture quick because the healers were generally the ones with the least amount of hit points, but your, your reputation is going to suffer. Strong meant that you would always attack the enemy with the most hit points. So battles would take a lot longer because you'd only get uh, two each. Each uh, depending on the character type, they would get anywhere from one to three attacks during a battle. Yeah. Um, and then whichever side dealt the most damage overall would win the battle. Um, if you didn't wipe out the enemy unit, they would retreat um, a, a distance on the overall map. If you lost the battle and weren't wiped out, you would retreat a certain distance on the overall map. Um, but so strong was okay. That that'll help your reputation rise. But it's a lot tougher to take out units earlier on when your units aren't quite as powerful. 
and then um, leader was you would just focus the leader. Uh, so you, you wouldn't get any reputation penalties for that. Um, once a unit's leader was killed, you couldn't control the unit anymore on the big map, so you couldn't send it anywhere. It would immediately retreat back to your main base, where you would then have to assign a new leader as the player. Now the AI just got a free new leader, so that unit would be back. So you had to decide, okay, if I'm going to take out the leader, well then I better have a plan for dealing with that unit when it comes back, because it's going to be back. So it's like this back and forth between units and sort of losing and gaining. Wow, that's... Hmm... Like that's so yeah, it's so different, right? It, it, it again, like it was like nothing I'd seen before in a game, and and it, it was actually a fairly strategically complex system, you know, especially to what an eleven year old, twelve year old. I mean, to, to me, this might as well have been the art of war. <laughs> it speaks so much to like Matsuno's design philosophy. Like Matsuno has become famous for you know designing the sort of Ivalice world of like Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Twelve and all that kind of stuff. But his sort of battle systems in the in the games that he creates have always been sort of the the most different to the other sort of traditional maybe Final Fantasy games or the tactics games and stuff like that. His designs have always been incredibly unique, and like I I didn't really know much about March of the Black Queen at all. Um, so that especially that morality system, that sort of alignment. Why is no yeah. why has no game taken that and used that? Like that is so cool. Yeah, I I don't know. I I thought it was amazing. Like that to, so that's actually one of the things that s disappointed me so much when the um there was an ogre battle for N64. I forget what it was called. But like they they didn't use anything from March of the Black Queen. I was just like, "Oh, why? Why?" <laughs> like this that was everything that made the great the game great. You, you ripped it out. <laughs> it's weird because I can see that kind of system like in a sort of like modern day now, like a fire emblem. Like Oh yeah. Like for sure. If you put like that system into a, like a fire emblem game cuz you like liberate towns and you take on side quests mm -hmm. and like picking on weaker enemies with like your heroes, like just, you know, critical right. arts them just killing them dead like before they can even yeah, move. Yeah, it's a dick move. It's like, a dick move. Like, like, you, you don't have to kill that little rabbit. <laughs> it's weird because like RPGs have spent so long trying to figure out how you make it, it like not boring to just mm -hmm. destroy enemies in one hit. Like you get all these random encounters and you just literally just press two buttons like attack and then it's like it's over if you're over leveled. And it, because the balance between like having to be a certain level for like a boss fight against like fighting normal enemies in RPGs has always been like completely out of whack. Like one is mm -hmm. so much higher than the other and there's never been like a really good balance I think in JRPGs specifically. Like you're always having to grind so then you're like amazing but then when you go fight a boss and you're still pretty shit so you grind some more you get better and then you're just like it's kind of rinse and repeat. There's never been like a real yeah. cool system that I've specifically heard of that is able to yeah, balance a, that. Yeah. So, so well. So the interesting thing I eventually figured out, kind of the the power gaming way to to get through that system, is and it's funny because it it's almost kind of like real life. Is that <laughs> the vast majority of your army is really nice, good people that don't ever really fight. They just go liberate towns and talk to the citizenry. And then you have one unit that's just pure evil, and their job is to kill anything that moves. <laughs> and you never let the people meet them. <laughs> I, want once, once take, I, I want someone to take that system and put it into a JRPG where it balances the, the whole, like, 
you can't like just go in like guns blazing and kill everything. You have to like really think about what it is you're doing in case of right. fear of a town hating you or wanting to kill you. Yeah, yeah, like there's actual consequences for your actions. Oh man. Games we we have these games where we have like these morality systems, you know, Mass Effect with the Paragon Renegade mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But there's not like a like a really good system. Like there's just not there's just not been one yet that is like really like the balance of morality. Because that sounds way more fleshed out than a lot of other games. This is a game from fucking nineteen ninety three. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> That's why it's on my list. <laughs> it's amazing. Man, I kind of want to play it. I kind of want to just uh, check I, it I would out. recommend it. Yeah? yeah it's, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> when was the last time you played it? Um, Probably about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Oh, okay, so... It's, uh, oh, yeah, you've got the... Em- you've got the... <laughs> yeah, I, I, breaking the law. <laughs> breaking the law, breaking the law. Yeah. But yeah. that's going to be my incredible segue into the next game by singing a song by a Jewish priest <laughs> into segueing into the next game on your list, which is kind of the odd one out, I think. It's the odd one out of all the games you've chosen. All these incredible big hitters of their unique genres and also famous titles from out the eras. But the next game is a game that I miss so very dearly. And I just... It's weird. We have, like, nostalgia for video games like Zelda and, like... Final Fantasy and Mario, but they all—they always still seem relevant today. Whereas I have nostalgia for this game, and it wasn't even that long ago when this series was like riding high. But now that series is so dead in the ground that it just seems irrelevant. So the nostalgia is overriding me because I don't think we'll ever get this sort of series or phenomenon again. So why don't we listen to? God, we can choose so much music from this next game. Yeah, yeah, we, you got a lot of options. We got we got a lot of options. I think I think we'll have to go with, I think maybe Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine because that's one killer track from this next game. And let's of course let's dive straight into it. So we are taking a sort of left turn from JRPGs for the time being, just from the time being, to talk about this next game. And as I said, it's a game that sort of doesn't have any relevance anymore. It it had a release in the series last year, but I don't think that did too well. And we're, we're not talking about it like to the extent of which... At one point, this was almost like, I think, Pokemon-level phenomenon. Like, everyone was playing this series. Everyone had a set. Everyone had, like, a guitar. Everyone had a drum kit. 
Everyone had a mic somewhere in like a basement or something. And everyone I know was playing this series. Chris, the next game you've chosen is a game by Neversoft. Makers of Tony Hawk's as well. Um, published by Activision. It released on the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, and God knows every platform under the sun. This game specifically releasing back in 2007. It is the third in the Guitar Hero series. Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock. Chris, why are you taking Guitar Hero 3 with you? Uh, I am a huge fan of rhythm games. Like, I, I love music and rhythm games. I mean, back the original, what, Amplitude and Frequency mm. on uh, PlayStation. Like, Har- Harmonix is one of my favorite development studios because just they, they keep constantly coming out with awesome rhythm games. And... Um, I got into the first Guitar Hero um, when I just I saw it, you know, in, in a store. I was like, "Oh, that looks like a cool idea." Oh, it's by Harmonix. Sure, I'll give it a shot. And it was amazing. And so I played the played the hell out of the first Guitar Hero. And then the second one came out. I'm like, "This is even better," because because one of the things that Harmonix does is they make it really accurate, kind of to the source material. So Guitar Hero One, like you had to be right on the notes. Like yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of leeway. Um, Guitar Hero 2, they kind of opened up those spacing windows. So even if you were off by like, you know, an eighth of a beat or something like that, you generally would still hit the notes. So it felt like you were just shredding through some of these, you know, ridiculous songs. But they did that weird thing where they sort of, they made the note sound a little off, which was super cool. Yes. Like they made it so it sounded not right. So you were like, oh, fuck, I missed that one. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then, so, so Guitar Hero 2, I felt, yeah, it, it took away some of the technical complexity, but it also made it it made it more fun in my experience. And then um, Guitar Hero 3 was really where it felt like, okay, this is an amazing collection of songs. Like, they're all a blast to play. And just the, the complexity of some of those songs, especially like Dragon Force through the Fire and Flames. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember first beating the game and then that note track starts scrolling down. <laughs> It was like, <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I think it was just, basically it was kind of the, the epitome of that specific period in time of where, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like I, I liked Rock Band, I liked Rock Band 2, I, I thought those were both pretty good, but I really felt that Guitar Hero 3 was really the one that just kind of nailed everything. It's funny because Guitar Hero 4, the world tour, is actually my personal favorite one because of the soundtrack for that one, and you could have some incredible DLC for that game as well. Lots of, like, metal and stuff that I really liked. But 3 was the one I played incessantly with my brother so much. Mm-hmm. And I learned so many, like, I just got into so many bands and so many different musicians because of hearing, like, one song of theirs on Guitar Hero 3 and then just, like, constantly listening to them afterwards and stuff like this. And this game only came out when I was like 17 as well. So it was during that period as being a teenager where music is like this, leave me alone, dad. I want to listen to music right. kind of like, <laughs> and you're listening to all these different bands. Like Guitar Hero came out at like the exact right time for me. It's so much fun. It was all about music and all this incredible thing. And as you said, like the track listing for Guitar Hero 3 was incredible. Yeah, so good. Like uh, Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Like that, I I could still go back and play that song over and over and over and over again. Like just, it was so much fun. So tell me some of the tracks that you like. I imagine being the gamer number one that you are, the the world's best gamer, what tracks Mm -hmm. on Expert were you nailing out then? 
Um, I could beat everyone. Uh, I never got past three stars on Through the Fire and Flames, but um, that was because I just I didn't want to devote the time to actually uh, like learning how to master it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, fun fun story though. I played against the um, current uh, or the the guy who held the Guinness uh, Book of World Records for Guitar Hero. He lived in Minnesota. Um, I think I think he hundred percented through the Fire and Flames. Oh my god! So it, yeah, so so is that some charity event thing? So we're we're playing Guitar Hero against each other because I actually I knew a couple guys at Activision because uh, they had a they had a, a big base in Minnesota. Okay. And um, so we so we set up this charity thing where it's kind of like me against him with five songs, and um, so he obviously crushed me on Through the Fire and Flames, <laughs> but uh, but then I I actually I ended up beating him on uh, Lagrange by ZZ Top, and, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> That's- <laughs> <laughs> of all the songs as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that song. It's it's got such a good flow to it. It's such a good rhythm. Like it's just cuz I think that was the other thing too is that like the songs in Guitar Hero 3 were not only were they fun to listen to, but the note charting on them was also really fun to play. Yeah. And it, that's the thing is like not only that, but you know, it literally lives up to its name, the title Legends of Rock. It had this right element of you had Tom Morello, you had Slash, you had all these incredible guitarists, like real guitarists, you know, modeled in the game. And you could like play alongside those guys or play as those guys, which is so cool. Being like a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine and like Audio Slave and stuff like that, being able to play with Tom Morello and Tom Morello's like very iconic blue guitar, like that was so fucking cool. That was so super right. cool. Yeah, and then you play Cochise and just that intro, and then yeah, so good, so so good. It's amazing. I had this friend, the first time I've ever mentioned Harry, my friend Harry, when I was growing up. Harry never seemed like the kind of guy who was into anything, but like just like the one kid who just didn't really do. He wasn't known for doing anything, and it was so funny because. We like in school we used to talk about all these things and he never contributed to anything and I rem- I'll d- always distinctly remember one day we were playing Guitar Hero and he like picked up Guitar Hero and he like played it and he really liked it and then I remember like meeting him again like a few weeks later and he'd like become like a god at Guitar Hero <laughs> like it was the only thing I'd ever known Harry ever get enthusiastic about and he just became a god and he he could do like Through the Fire and the Flames I don't think he could like 100% it or anything but he could like pass expert on through the fire and flames, which at the time as a 17 year old who'd heard like legends of people passing through fire and the flames. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that, that was really the litmus test was it, it didn't matter what your score was. It was, could you beat this on expert? Yeah. Could you just not fail? Like, could you do it? And you know, that was like his party trick for a long time. Like we'd go drinking around his house and have like parties and and there would always be like one point of the night where it'd be like, Harry, Harry, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. Play through the fire and flames forever. <laughs> yep, it's yeah, so good. I, I, so, so funny story. I actually did that same party trick. Um, <laughs> the, the, the guy I knew at uh, Activision, um, they were doing their big year-end kind of like um, corporate celebration or whatever. It yeah, is. and it was in uh, L.A. in December, I want to say. 
And so I'm I'm from Southern California, so I was going to no, it was in February because the season was over. So I was going to be in Southern California anyway. So he's like, hey, do you want to come join our Guitar Hero team as as the ringer on the team? Because I guess every branch, you know, <laughs> they, they had a Guitar Hero team that was going to play at this party. And uh, so they they had um they had a couple celebrity judges. Uh, one was um the guy from uh, the Sex Pistols. Uh, one was um oh God, the actress from Wayne's World. Um. What's her name? Uh, Tia Carrera? Is that right? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but yes. Yeah, so so anyways, um, so we get we get up on stage, and and you know it's obviously very clear. Like most most of these employees really don't play Guitar Hero that much. Like they're all playing on like easy or medium, and so uh, my our our team gets on the stage, and <laughs> I I put it on. So so I start with um, Cult of Personality by Living Color Excellent. on Expert. One of my per- <laughs> one of my personal favorites of that that game. Yep. Uh, and, and I start going, and the crowd just erupts. Like, <laughs> they go wild. Because, I mean, I'm just shredding my way through this song. <laughs> and then then afterwards, you know, kind of introduce myself to everyone on stage. Like, yeah, you know, this this was Chris Cleary from the Vikings. And then um, my uh, my buddy from Activision is like, hey, you know, try, try Fire in the Flames. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get it. Because, <laughs> like, at that, at that point in time, I was still maybe like 50% on getting through the intro. Um, so I get up there. I try it. I fail on the first time. I fail on the second time. I'm like, okay. Third time, I'm gonna get this. So get on the third one, and I I nail the intro, and I start going through the song, and it is nuts. Like they're they're just watching, like what <laughs> is going on here? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, that that was my party trick. <laughs> I imagine like just free drinks forever after that at that party, just like <laughs> yeah yeah. No, oh it was my great. god. And, and, and then the best part was the um, the guy from the Sex Pistols said, "Man, you can you can play that plastic guitar, but you can't dance for shit." And I was like, "Yep, you're right." <laughs> <laughs> so my, my my talents are the plastic guitar type, not a not, not the yeah, not type. the real type, just the plastic guitar type. I used to love. Yep. I used to go to a festival in the UK called the Download Festival, and Download mm-hmm. Festival was notoriously the the famous like rock and metal festival in the UK. Like it was the big festival where you know like it had like Ramstein and like Rage Against the Machine and Iron Maiden and all these incredible bands would play and I remember for a very long period of time during that you know, the, you know the heights of Guitar Hero Rock Band they would have like you know the side tents where they would have like the the competitions mm-hmm. and they would have like it they would have like a dual split between one competition would be who's the best, which is, you know, obvious. You'd have all these dudes playing expert, like, robots, just nailing right. every note. But the other one would be the best one, and it would be, like, playing on, like, whatever difficulty, just don't fail. But then right. who could rock out the hardest? Just yeah, like who, with who the, plas- the best stage presence? Who had the best stage presence with, like, this plastic mini guitar? And you would yeah. get, like, just the most random drunk-ass dudes, like these heavy metal dudes full of tattoos and stuff like that. Just jump on stage, pick, like, the most incredible songs, and just, like, fucking nail it and destroy the stage. It's so good <laughs> and so funny. And, like, they would, like... They would like jump into the crowd to crowd surf and stuff like that. They just have like the mini plastic guitar hero controller. And stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, so so funny, man. Yeah, I miss it. I miss the hype of guitar hero, and it's weird because until I moved to Japan, I always had some variant of one of the games, whether it's like Rock Band or Guitar Hero or whatever, like available mm-hmm. to play. And now I'm just like itching. Now, now I live in Japan. I have no way of, no possible way of being able to play that game. Right. And I have the itching <laughs> to just like touch the buttons again. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's well, and I think that really is the heart of what made that that game so great is that it it legit let you feel like a rock star. Like it, it, yeah. it didn't matter what you were doing, you felt like a rock star. <laughs> and for one night, you impressed the dude from the Sex Pistols. <laughs> yep, and you truly <laughs> put were it on a my tombstone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we're gonna jump back now on the sort of the JRPG bandwagon a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna. Stop being a rock star for too more too longer, and um, we're going to save the world again. And we're going to go back to sort of Matsuno's creations in a game we've sort of already mentioned, being Final Fantasy Tactics. So let's listen to some wonderful music from this next game, and let's of course dive straight into it. So now we're going to talk about the second Final Fantasy game on Chris's list. Of course, we already mentioned it's Final Fantasy Tactics, so it's not quite the sort of mainline Final Fantasy series that, you know, everyone sort of chooses is between 1 to sort of 13, 15, whatever. Um, but it's a game that's appeared multiple times on this show now, and I think it ha- for anyone who played it, especially on release, like, it just was so different and so incredible and it had this almost and i've probably said this on the show before again and i think it's been mentioned it it had almost this game of thrones like story in both sort of scale and epic and families and houses and betrayals and all that kind of thing all in this tiny playstation game that was released by squaresoft back in 1997 of course directed by matsuno-san it is final fantasy tactics and chris why is it that you're taking it with you? Well, I mean, pretty much for the reasons that you just said, like the 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 game had this epic scope and it felt dark. Like, you know how most games are kinda like you're the hero, thing things are gonna go well. Things are like, always gonna no be matter great. what. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's gonna be fine. Like everything will be fine. Like this game was dark. <laughs> Like, it's full on, nope, that person just got killed. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, nope, that rebellion's getting crushed underfoot. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it felt like just this political drag down, beat down, just like nastiness that I, I hadn't really encountered in a game before. And, and it was fascinating because you, you play Final Fantasy and you expect a certain kind of storyline, right? It's like yeah. heroes go forth, save the world, everything's sunshine and roses at the end. And then this comes along, it's just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like this is bloody. So yeah, no, I just loved it. And then, and then just like the job system and and the actual combat within the game itself. Like I, I love turn-based strategy games. So that that to me was a huge draw for it. So going off the back of like playing Ogre Battle, you know, when you were younger and sort of going along with that series, 
I think there was maybe what five years between sort of March of the Black Queen. You had I think you had let's let us cling together. I hate the title because I always want to say let's mm-hmm. cling together, but it's let us cling together, um, which was like 1995, I think. And then Tech This came out in North America in 1998. Coming off the back of being a fan of Ogre Battle. Did you know that Tactics was, you know, sort of a Matsuno creation like Ogre Battle before playing it, or were you just massively surprised at the time? Yeah, no, I, I was massively surprised at the time. Like, I had no idea it was the same guy. And, and in retrospect, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to, you know, as to why it, it grabbed me the way it did, because it's like, oh, here's kind of that same Ogre Battle feel of there's, like, there there's human stories going on here where your actions have consequences, and a lot of times those consequences are bad like they're they're going to result in pain for you know for a lot of different people and it just it it had a, a gravity to to it that you didn't really find in other games it's weird because that is the one thing that you know jrpgs and all sort of we don't talk too much about their story these days we don't <laughs> they don't always have the best stories i mean final fantasy i think is an exception and we talk more about the sort of the combat or the the world and the designs and all that kind of thing but the one thing that does get highlighted so much with final fantasy tactics specifically is that story and just how mm-hmm. almost grandiose i think is the best word to describe it but there's never been really anything like that again like you had final fantasy tactics advance and like advance 2 which like small like made it smaller which is weird because the playstation couldn't really hold that much so you're not really downscaling it too much but why is it that you think we we don't see that sort of epic scale story in rpgs anymore um i i think it's because people may not necessarily be looking for it like because stories like that like they do ask you to grapple with some pretty weighty stuff and I think for a lot of people, when, when they play a video game, they expect a certain type of experience. And generally, it's you're the hero, you're the good guy, there's no moral con- conundrums, right? Like, it's just, I know, okay, I'm the good guy, I'm going to win if I can get through these these encounters. Whereas games like Final Fantasy Tactics and Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen, like, you have a chance to not be the hero. Like, you can end up being the bad guy. And I, I think for some people, like, they look at that and they're like, well, I don't want to beat the bad guy. <laughs> and, yeah, I, 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 I think it's it's probably just, I, I mean, not to sound, like, rude to people who don't like these types of games. And, and this is not from, you know, a, a sense of, oh, you're you're not a true gamer if you don't play these. But it, it almost feels like with those games, like, people just don't want to deal kind of with the subject matter. And, and, I mean, that's fine. Like, you games are meant to be fun but i think that games can also be art and and games like this are art and that they make you grapple with the, with these tough subjects and they make you think about them well it's weird even like to talk about final fantasy tactics specifically and think about what's one of the biggest tv shows that everyone's consuming right yeah well, it's game, game of, of thrones, thrones right? yeah <laughs> and also on top of that dealing with very heavy political situations i mean reality right now is not the greatest <laughs> right so yeah. well so so, so I, I think part of it actually is the fact that because video games were still pretty much in their infancy at the time i don't think people were expecting games to be art and to be grappling with these kind of things yeah exactly it's like um former guest of the show greg Casavin, who now works at supergiant games formerly of GameSpot. 
he chose this game as well and he reviewed it back for GameSpot back in the day and I remember him say, stating that the just the surprise of the story just just he couldn't fathom at the time how such a, a huge and incredibly detailed and as I said grandiose story could be in a video game at that time yeah, yeah, no, it, it like they they swung for the fences, and in my opinion, they hit it. Like it was it was masterfully crafted. It's also kind of strange coming off the bat because it released in like a time in 1997 in Japan, which was like the same time as Final Fantasy VII, but it was a year later after Final Fantasy VII in North America. But I think maybe this game's more known for having like that grandiose story, but Seven was. It's, you know, praised for, like, its cutscenes and its story. But its story, I think, is maybe definitely on a Seven. smaller scale. Yeah. It's, well, Seven, like, Seven has a decent story, but it's a really familiar story. Like, it, it's one that's been told in a lot of video games. Whereas, you know, Tactics Story, like, that story really hadn't been told in video games before. It was more like a traditional fantasy novel than Seven sort of a typical hero's journey kind of thing. Right. Although I don't want to detract from seven. Cause I think seven, I think seven did some incredible things in terms of story. Like it had the atypical, a hero's journey, but you know, cloud was like living the memories of someone else for a long time in that, which was kind of a cool spin on it, which was, yeah, which yeah was no, nice. I, I, I loved seven. Like seven's generally on my list of top games. Um, it's, it's just, I, I feel I had that category covered with six, so yes. I wanted to make sure I had that. <laughs> I, I had diversity in terms of my uh, my game choices. So what I've gathered from talking to you so far, and you know, we're now four games into the list, you're big on your sort of story in video games, which is kind of really cool because considering what we talked about in the beginning about that sort of competitive edge and being a great gamer when you're younger, playing with friends and all that kind of stuff, you, you said you went off and played solo like, was the story thing you found as a young kid, like, something that drawed you in differently about video games than the sort of super competitive stuff? Yeah, I, th I think it, for me, particularly, the story was... Because I've always been a huge nerd at heart, and I love reading. Like, I, I've been able... I've been fortunate that I can read really fast, and so I just devour, like, science fiction fantasy books. And I've been doing that since I was like five years old. And um, it, it to me, the stories in the good stories in video games were like reading a good science fiction or fantasy book, but with the added bonus of I get to move the characters around and I get to, you know, be a part of a lot of what's going on within the plot. Yes. And, and so I think that that's what what really caused me to gravitate towards these is that, you know, it, it was an enhancement of that experience. Excellent. So you did mention like a little earlier, sort of Horizon Zero Dawn specifically. What are the sort of modern games that you've played recently that sort of hit upon those notes? Because storytelling in gaming has become this almost sort of art form. And there seems to be this weird divide now between games that have to solely devote themselves to story, which is like, you know, the mm -hmm. walking simulators or the the sort of... 
games maybe like um, Dishonored or and stuff like that, which is the sort of environmental storytelling, and there's all this kind of duality between all these different types of storytelling. There doesn't seem to be so unique stuff like what we had in the past, which was gameplay and story crafted together in this very limited pot because that's what the technology could afford you at the time. Whereas now you can do right. anything you want. People seem to be like focusing narrowly in certain areas. But what are the sort of modern games for you that tell these great stories very similar to like games like Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy Tactics? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I said it earlier, like really the only one that pops out at me of what I've played within the past couple of years is Horizon Zero Dawn. And it, it was something that I, I honestly was not expecting because I originally picked up the game because it robot dinosaurs. Who yes, doesn't robot, shoot dinosaurs. robot dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was like, that that's draw enough for me. I've, I'll probably have fun running around this world. It's an open world. Great. There'll probably be places to explore. This will be fine. And then I started playing it and then and it. It's, it's a mixture of the story of you as the player while you're playing the game, so like that current time yeah. when you're playing as Aloy, and then the story of the past and what's revealed, like in the flashbacks and, and the text codex and, and all the other stuff, and it's just this sprawling, like epic scale of humanity really effed up <laughs> like there there were some severe consequences for that and now but people are still trying to go on with their lives the best they know how and and, and to me it felt, it felt like a very human story and that you know you could see this playing out like maybe not necessarily with the robot dinosaurs and the technology and stuff but the underlying gist of it is is that yeah even when your world ends like you still have to find a way to go on yeah absolutely and wow Man, we need more grandiose epics, I think, in video games. We need to bring that back. We need to bring the, the sort of cheesy, world-ending, time-spanning games like Chrono Trigger or like Final right. Fantasy Tactics. We need to bring that back. I, I want some more of that. There's been a distinct lack. And I think, as I said before, like Final Fantasy XV is very similar to me. It, it's one of the only games I've felt that sort of scale, sense of scale within a story where you know the whole world is at stake or like the world is going to crack open and just fall into a giant abyss kind of feeling that old JRPGs used to give you um, mm -hmm. and that definitely is one of the only ones in recent memory I have not finished Horizon Zero Dawn so I cannot comment on whether I feel that same way about that game but I definitely get the sense of especially with the flashbacks like there's more to it than just mm -hmm. you know Killing robot dinosaurs, which is also very fun. Oh yeah, yeah. When 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 you start getting to the reveals, I think it uh, it'll it'll click together, and you'll you'll based on kind of our conversation, excellent. You'll probably feel the same. So way. so then we both have some homework. You finish Final Fantasy Fifteen, I'll finish Horizon yep. Zero Dawn, and then we'll <laughs> we'll reconvene after a certain period of time on your deserted place in the duck hunt field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll airdrop in a uh, communicator. <laughs> Well, we're going to move on to the next game, and I think no one will be surprised that it's another JRPG, because this is a fantastic list full of JRPGs. And But unfortunately, it is the last JRPG, actually, now looking at the list. But it's a fantastic one, another one developed by Square, with some cool-as-heck music, music that I love so much. So let's listen to a track from the soundtrack, and of course, let's dive back straight into it. Thank you. 
So jumping into the next JRPG on Chris's list, and it's another developed by Square. It was really uh, religiously. I mean, originally, <laughs> it was originally released for the Super Nintendo back in 1993 in Japan, and then a little later uh, in the year in North America, it was directed by Koichi Ishii. And one thing that I found out about this game while sort of researching it a couple of months ago, um, the programmer for the game was Nasir Jabili. Do you know who he is, Chris, at all? Have you ever heard about uh, this game? I have not, but is that last name the same as Studio Ghibli? Um, very or no. similar. Not okay. spelling, because he's not Japanese. Okay. He's not Japanese, so there's this sort of unknown unknown name that's been popping up <clears throat> a little bit throughout uh, recent times due to, I think, John Romero sort of mentioned that he was a hero of his. And um, it's uh, this fellow called Nasser Jabiri. He was an Iranian-American programmer who moved to Japan um, oh. and started working for Square Enix back in the day. And I'm talking back in the day, like nintendo entertainment back in the day first right back back when it was still squaresoft <laughs> back when it was squaresoft and but back when final fantasy didn't exist yet mm-hmm. and um he worked with sakaguchi and like amano on the final fantasy series from the from like final fantasy 2 onwards like he was their main programmer and like that's awesome it's incredible to think like now being someone who lives in Japan and the Japanese gaming industry having very few foreigners, we have mm-hmm. a few um, more than obviously there used to be. But there was this guy who was like this super genius programmer who, um, you know, did the program for Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy 4. And then he went on to be the the main programmer for the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, which I did not know about. Someone needs to make a documentary about this guy because <laughs> yeah, not much is known about him. Like, I, I, yeah, how, I no he, how he ended up in this situation where he was the main programmer on some of the biggest games of all time and he's not Japanese fascinates me massively. But the next game we're going to talk about is a game he programmed that released for the Super Famicom. It's known as Seiken Denzetsu 2 in Japan and it's, of course, Secret of Mana. And it's being released again on the Super Nintendo Mini Classic, but it's also getting a PlayStation 4 remaster, or not remaster, remake uh, next year. But Chris, Secret of Mana is the game you're taking with you. And why is it the last JRPG you're taking with you? Yeah, so this one was tough because it was a toss-up between this and Chrono Trigger. And, wow, um, that is a tough both, <laughs> Yeah, like that, that, that's, that's a Sophie's Choice right there. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> no, no real uh, loser in that that decision. But um, for me, I, I think it has to do just with the the childhood memories I have associated with it of just kind of playing through this game and trying to make my way through this just lush, vibrant world with so many different, you know, just artistic like like environments. I mean, you you go from like jungle areas to plains areas to snow areas, and I mean the the idea that you could find these chests that would have orbs that would then upgrade your weapon into another weapon and it was kind of random if you got them or not and then your weapons would also upgrade if you use them more <laughs> it was like and same with your magic i mean it, it to me i just i could spend hours upon hours playing that game really doing nothing more than just kind of grinding my weapons up and listening to the music and you know casting spells on creatures like it it just felt like this amazing world that i i loved being in 
and um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And well, and then also it was one of those ones where uh, if you're fortunate enough to have the uh, the multi tap, you could actually play three players, which was really weird yes. for for an RPG. Um, also, people might not know this: you can play multiplayer in Final Fantasy VI as well. Uh, you can have someone take control of the other characters. So I I was like that that's pretty cool because if my you know one of my friends came over we could still keep playing the game. <laughs> like you could control the different party members as well, couldn't you? And I remember like with Secret of Mana, like characters would drop in and out of the story at various points. Yeah. So like if you had like friends you were playing like playthrough with, there would be like large gaps in the story where like one person couldn't play because their character right. was like yeah. disa- <laughs> had disappeared in the story, which I always found really funny for a quote-unquote multiplayer title <laughs> right yeah exactly it's like well you got three people here but there's only two in the party uh, i guess you're fighting over that controller <laughs> <laughs> it's funny one of the first games like when i moved to japan and i found this abundance of old super nintendo games that i could just like buy from electronic stores like very freely very easily coming over like one of the like my like mini projects was to collect like sort of all the iconic super famicom square rpgs so mm-hmm. you know you got obviously final fantasy 4 you got final fantasy 5 final fantasy 6 secret of mana chrono trigger and all that sort of stuff and then the one game like that i found i completely forgot about was seiken denzetsu 3 which is technically i guess secret of mana 2 which is a game we you never saw in the west like I've played most of it, and it's so good. It's so, so good, and it's as definitely up there with sort of Secret of Mana. Are the games, like, especially being, like, a huge JRPG fan when you were younger and there not being any internet, did you, like, import games from Japan? Did you, like, read about, like, after playing, like, Secret of Mana, being like, oh, my God, is there more? Is there more I can play? And then you find out that there's a lot of these games in Japan that you'll never get, like Final Fantasy V or Seiken Densetsu Three. Did you, like, import games over? Or were you ever interested in doing stuff like that? Yeah, so so I looked at it, and I was like, God, I would love to play these games. And then I was like, but I can't read Japanese. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So it was, it was something where... I I wanted to, but it was also I I felt that I still had access to enough options to where I could play other games, and hopefully the those would get imported eventually. Um, and you know, obviously some of them didn't, but yes. I I think for the for the most part, the the really really good ones eventually made their way over. You know, maybe even not on like their original system, but as like a you know as a remake on a on a newer system. Yeah, we look like like yeah. Um, well, fingers crossed, Mother 3, one day we'll get an official mm-hmm. translation, but fan translation is already done. It was, it's fantastic and it allows you to play that game, that kind of thing. It's been, uh, <clears throat> same with like Final Fantasy V. Uh, I'm not actually sure if there is a very good Seiken Densetsu 3 fan translation. There must be somewhere on the internet some way to play that game. I mean, you yeah, because I remember emulator. the <laughs> yeah, right. I, I should be able to find it because <laughs> um, I know because there there was another one that came out here. What is Secret of Evermore? I believe Secret right? of Evermore. Yes. Yeah, and that that one was okay, but like it, it didn't feel like Secret of Mana. So I mean, I, I played through it and it was it was fun, but yeah, it just it it didn't give me that same feeling of Secret of Mana. So, 
like we're in the sort of weird era of video games now where things are getting remade and remastered which is weird considering how sort of young the video game industry really is but you know we're seeing more and more of these remakes and remasters and they recently released i don't know if you saw but you know secret of mana is getting this whole brand new remake that has all these 3d mm-hmm. graphics and all this kind of stuff and sort of looks kind of cheapish are you are you someone who's interested in playing like games of your past again and experiencing them sort of in a new way or are you definitely just like i had my time with that or i'll just play the original i'm just not interested yeah, I think for games like that, like Secret of Mana, like SNES games, for the most part, I'll probably just play the original because I personally think that the sprites age really, really well. Yes. Like, I, I, I don't think you need to do any fancy 3D modeling or, or anything of that. Like, the, the, they put so much character into those sprites that, and it's such an iconic art style that I, I don't think that that needs to be changed at all. Like, that's that's fine. Um, there are certain games, like PlayStation games, um, PlayStation 1, that would be fantastic if they did a remake with upgraded graphics, like, for example, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Because yeah. you go back and play that, and that's rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the thing, the polygonal it, sort of style. Right. Though that very early then, 3D. Yeah, not aged too well. Yeah, and then well, so, so there, there's another game actually that, um, again, I wish could have been on my list, but I'm gonna talk about it anyways because I love it. It's, um, <laughs> it, it was for PlayStation, and this is one that I would like to see a remake of, um, with with updated graphics and stuff. It was called uh, Legend of Lagaya, and ah. um, I, I, I don't know how much you played of that one, but I didn't I play. It would... I don't think we got it in Europe. Yeah, no, it, it was really, really good. And, and the thing I really liked about it was that um, essentially the combat system was you had sort of like this attack bar on the bottom of the screen that your characters could fit attacks into. And you had light attack, medium attack, and heavy attack. And each one took up a certain amount of space on the bar. As you gained levels, the bar grew longer, so you could start stringing more and more attacks together. And um, the thing was is that certain combinations of attacks would reveal special attacks. So it was almost kind of this mix of like JRPG and fighting game, but then the magic system was you could absorb enemies and like you would literally absorb an enemy and then enemies would have a certain skill that you could then use as a magic skill. And it was it was just this really cool game because the the premise behind the game was that there's this terrible mist like kind of overtaking the world and there's all these monsters inside it and you're trying to figure out how do we get this this mist to go away. So, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I would love to see a remake of that game with modern graphics. I think, actually, I tell a lie. I think that game did get released in Europe just under a different name. I think it in Europe it was called Illusions of Gaia. Yeah, it might have been. Like, yeah, I think it's, it had uh, a different name. There was a couple of JRPGs around that time that, you know, we didn't, we didn't get Earthbound. We didn't get Chrono Trigger, which... Can you imagine? Like, it was yeah, so, so weird. But, you know, we, right. we had games like Terranigma, which I don't think you got in America. Is it Terranigma? Yeah, I don't think I played that one. Yeah, Ter- Terranigma, which was like another really popular Super Famicom title that I don't think ever released in America. It's so weird to live in this sort of era now where everything gets released like day one worldwide, like all localized mm-hmm. and all this kind of thing. To even like going back a few years when I was younger, like having to wait eight months for a Pokemon game after Japan had already got right. it. Seems like really <laughs> yeah. strange now. Seems like really weird. 
Yeah, it's a, well, and, and it's especially fascinating just from a, a mechanical perspective because all of these games are just zeros and ones. Like, if you have the means to transmit those zeros and ones, like, you, you can put those games anywhere in the world. Yeah. And we have the means to do that now. It's just the sort of... I think now we have the the global communication to be able to localize games, like have different countries talk to each other, like like a, especially like in localization studios, have like the English work with you know the Japanese and the Japanese studio work with them. Whereas back then maybe mm-hmm. it was harder for, I think it was a lot harder for them to communicate how to get things forced through, and it took a long time to localize games because you'd be like you'd be like sending code over and it would have to be checked. You couldn't digitally send it across the internet to be checked like in a day. It would take like a month (laughs) for them to check all these localization checks, which would delay a game by a long time. So I'm very thankful to live in the sort of age where we now all get, like Japan doesn't get games 10 months ahead or America gets like Chrono Trigger and Europe gets fuck all. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Everyone should get to play games. Everyone should get to play games, especially good games. It'd be amazing. Like, imagine if Final Fantasy 15 last year just didn't release like in Australia for whatever reason. Just like Australia right. was this void where Final Fantasy 15 didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now. And um, it's the only sort of. Uh, is it the most modern? I don't know if I, I want to say modern because it's a game that released in 1998. No, Guitar Hero, I guess, is the most modern. But even that, the sort of because of what that is, seems sort of archaic in its own way. Um, right. <laughs> the next game is the sort of the only shooter that you've chosen. Um, so I'm very intrigued as to why. I think I know why you've chosen it. I think it harks back to that story elements again so why don't we listen to some very sort of atmospheric and downtrodden music from this next game let's of course dive straight into it So, Chris, when choosing a game from this specific series, most people go with the second game in the series um, for obvious reasons, I think, because it's pretty much one of the most iconic PC shooters of all time. Um, But you haven't. You've gone for the first game in the series. Uh, It's a game developed by Valve. It was, you know, written by Mark Ladau and published, I think, back in 1998 for the PC. It's a science fiction first-person shooter featuring the very silent protagonist, Mr. Gordon Freeman. It's Half-Life. Half-Life 1. Chris, yep. why are you taking Half-Life 1 with you? 
Um, well, a couple reasons. So for and again, most of these have to deal with you know personal experiences that that I had yeah. growing up. Where for for me, Half Life One was really kind of the first shooter I played that. It felt like it had a storyline, which surprise, surprise, yes, uh, that has been a consistent. That theme. was the reason, um, <laughs> right? But but it it also I think was the first shooter where I really felt comfortable playing a shooter. Okay. So up up to that up to that point, I had played um I'd played Quake, I'd played Doom, uh, played Doom Two, um played Duke Nukem. Uh, there was that. What was the samurai one or the ninja one? I forget. It was like Duke Nukem. Oh but, uh, um, oh uh, the John Romero's fucking. The God, it was, it was so Daikatana. bad. Like, it wasn't like, yeah, no, not Daikatana. Oh. It was the um, oh God, like very similar like humor style to uh, Duke Nukem. Where, God, I can't remember the name, but um, anyways, it, it was it was essentially Duke <laughs> Nukem but in Asia. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so you know, I had played those in, and up until that time, like I was still trying to figure out how to control in a in a first person shooter, right? So like for Doom, I had used a joystick, you know, like simple two button joystick, but you can't really turn very fast with a joystick. Um, then for uh, for Quake and uh, and Doom Two, like I was I was using the arrow keys and you know the to to shoot and aim yeah because that at that time you know you couldn't really aim up or down like there was no z axis no it was <laughs> if just you shot straight <laughs> it was on a very flat yeah, there was an enemy axis. above you you'd hit the enemy <laughs> yeah it was just x and y and then um yeah and then uh half-life rolled around and i was like okay I'm, I'm really gonna work on learning how to how to control this movement and so i moved I, so i don't use uh w a s d is that what whatever the common Wa- control Wasad. scheme is yeah, Wasad. I I use ASDF so that way all my fingers are on the same line, and then my thumb rests on the spacebar. Eh, eh, but eh, what? Yep. Wait, <laughs> yeah, what? Jump, I'm, jump. I'm I'm like looking at my keyboard now, and I'm like, how does that even make? How, what? So, so uh, pinky A is strafe left. Uh, index finger F is strafe right. Um, S is go backwards. D is go forward. What? So, yeah, it's well. So, so here's the thing: is like my hands are fairly big, so W A S D like felt really cramped together. Oh, okay, okay. I was, I was, I was not uh, not a fan of that control scheme. And um, but yeah, it, it it to me it was like I finally figured out. Okay, I can move and run around and aim with the mouse and shoot, and it felt so much more fluid. So like from a mechanical standpoint, I really felt more immersed in in that world. And then from just kind of a, a personal standpoint, like me and my friends, we would get together and just have land sleepovers and just play Half-Life the entire night. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd find mods and like anti-gravity mods and, uh, you know, you could only use shotguns, stuff like that. And it, it was just, it, it was a blast to play because it felt, it felt a little bit more complete in a way that the, the first person shooters up to that point, those felt more arcadey. Like this one felt a lot more realistic yeah and it didn't have that sort of that realistic feel like doom was just basically just open doors shoot people kill right yeah exactly i mean people i mean demons like open doors kill people quake was the same thing strafe yeah you have corridors like there's there's not really a world it's just corridors with enemies in various areas whereas half-life was no this this is an actual world like you're making your way through this world so why specifically then like as I said, most people, when we're talking about this series, they can't avoid talking about Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 is, you know, it's one of the biggest jokes on the internet that when is Half-Life 3 going to happen? And why did that happen? Well, it's because Half-Life 2 was such a success and highly rated title. 
Um, do you like Half-Life 2 as much as Half-Life or is it just that Half-Life was like that special unique time for you? Yeah, I think it like I liked Half-Life 2. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a good game. I just I think Half-Life due to my own personal memories and just the memories of playing with my friends and stuff like that that to me is why I would I would take it over Half-Life 2 because it, it, it really was just kind of how like you know Guitar Hero was that particular moment in time that's you know Half-Life is, is the same way for me are you looking forward to Half-Life 3? <laughs> um, sure, when the sun eventually burns out. <laughs> I, th I think at that point uh, it might get released or it might still be in beta. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely some versions of it. I think we haven't spoken about Half-Life on the show for a while. And I think I've always asked like my guest at the time who has ever chosen Half-Life 1 or Half-Life 2, if they think Half-Life 3 will be released. And you're not someone who works in the industry, so as a sort of outside outsider looking in and also having sort of unique views on sort of other businesses, do you feel like that's just dead in the water now or we might eventually see it? Well, I, I think they're running into the same problem that uh, Blizzard ran into with StarCraft Ghost, where... It, there's such an amount of hype that's been built around the idea of the game yeah. that it's going to be impossible to to it, it meet those expectations. Yeah, because even if like, it's like the best game ever, it's still not going to be Half Life Three, right. It, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not going to be enough. And and the reason why it's not going to be enough is because people are looking at it through that that lens of nostalgia, where you know they they re remember those experiences, like what I was just talking about, where you're sitting with your friends, you know, playing all night long, and you've the thing is, is like it's no longer that time. Like you've grown older, you've changed as a person. The world's a different place, and so you're probably not going to get that same experience, which is what people are looking for. Which is a shame because they could probably make a pretty good game that would be Half-Life 3 and it'll just get crushed because no one will will take it for what it is they'll they'll look at it as what they want it to be and you can't make a game that's going to appeal to everyone like that's that's just impossible it's weird because i think what stood out for Half-Life 2 is Half-Life 2 was so revolutionary in what it did in terms of storytelling in a first person game as well as sort of the gravity gun motions and the sort of the different innovation spins it did about tropes of the genre and i think trying to make that again now in this world when we live in a post <clears throat> a post dishonored a post horizon a post sort of bioshock world is gonna be just is it's so tough right it's, it's like how do you find something unique when all the unique stuff has been done <laughs> Like, exactly right. that's that, that's that's what the problem is and i'm sure they've got people working on it but it's like for every idea you have that's it's probably been done before i'd be very intrigued to see what the sort of different iterations of it they've obviously there must have been multiple iterations of hey this is it oh we'll scrap it start again oh that's uh oh, scrap it i wonder i'm very intrigued to see what the development process maybe one day we'll see like a documentary or something like valve will release something about it but until then you're just gonna have to replay half-life on your island uh well on yep, your field that, that true. Your field <laughs> yeah my field islands island is too generous for <laughs> that tiny yeah, level <laughs> that well dog dog can't laugh at me in half-life no <laughs> Well, we're going to move on to your second to last game now, which is sad because I don't, I don't want to banish you, Chris. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. Um, so 
it's very sad to come up to the second to last game. But but you you're talking my language here when you choose games like this next game. You're uh, speaking loud and proud, and everyone will know exactly what sort of games we're talking about. Who listens to the show? It's Nintendo through and through. Let's listen to one of the best ending themes of any game ever, and let's of course dive right into the next game on Chris's list. <laughs> So the next game on your list, and the second to last game before we send you away, Chris, is a game that was developed by Nintendo EAD, directed by Takeshi Tezuka and produced by the one and only Miyamoto-san himself. Music from Koji Kondo, just all the big hitters of Nintendo in the 90s. It released originally back in November of 1990 on the Super Nintendo. It's one of the most fantastic platformers of all time and one of my personal favorite games. It is, of course, Super Mario World. Chris, you're speaking my language. Why are you taking it with you? Well, I mean, it's... So, my my memories of this game... Um, so, I, I was begging and pleading to my parents to get me a Super Nintendo. Because, obviously, it's it's the new Nintendo. It's It has 16-bit graphics. That's <laughs> twice as many bits. You, you have to have more bits. <laughs> And so, you know, I, I remember seeing it at a um, an electronics store. Uh, I think it was a Good Guys, actually, back when those still existed. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, my my dad was there getting something, and you know, I saw it, and I saw Super Mario World, World on there, and like seeing the difference that's between 16 bit and 8 bit. You know, as a kid, yeah. Back when like you you didn't know any better, it was like, look at Mario, look at him on Yoshi, look at those red apple things. Like this is unreal. And so, you know, I, I begged my parents, I'm like, I, can you get me a Super Nintendo? I want a Super Nintendo. And so they said they would get me one, but in order for me to get one, I would have to show them that I could juggle a soccer ball 250 times. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I worked on my juggling for about two months straight and, uh, yeah, developed some pretty good ball touch uh, <laughs> on, the, on the soccer ball. <laughs> and, uh, yep. Eventually got 250. We we went down. We got the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Ran back home. Set it up. Popped in Super Mario World, and it was oh, it was everything I had hoped it would be. The payoff. It, it was so much fun. Oh yeah. my god, I can't even imagine the payoff after practicing for so long and then being like, oh my god, Super Mario, Super Mario, and then playing it, Super Mario World. Oh my god. It, 
yeah, it's like because it wasn't like oh here's some you know junk game that's getting bundled with the system. Like this, this is a legit great game. Like you, uh, this is another game that I can go back and play again. Like I, I just I love playing the game, and um, it's fun because I introduced my um, my older daughter to it uh, about a year ago. She she's nine now, so she would have been eight. So I I pulled open the the emulator, you know, hooked up a, a game pad, and I'm like here, you know, you try this game out. And so <laughs> of course she was just instantly hooked on it. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's well, and, and I think the other thing that I really like about it is that gen, like Mario before that was pretty straightforward. You know, you, you had some warp pipes you had with Super Mario 3, you know, you, you had the different items and things like that. But with Super Mario World, all of a sudden it was like, okay, there's alternate exits from these places. Like, there's this whole hidden star world. There's these different switches that allow you to access new areas. I mean, it felt like it really felt like it incorporated RPG elements into the game, and it, it just it made it so much cooler. It's uh, yeah, and like the the vibrant colors as well as you know going back to that sort of jump from 8 bits to 16 bit as you said mm-hmm. the one thing about super mario world that maybe gave it even more depth and the like the secrets hidden within it was that that vibrancy of the world it was so bright and so colorful that you just wanted to like go really deep into that game yeah like everything just popped out i mean you you knew if you saw okay here's these dotted red you know blocks that should be filled in I'm going to find a red switch somewhere. I need to figure out where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and like when you get to like the forest and like you go through all the levels and you're like, "Oh, what the, what do what the fuck do I do next?" And you're like, "This Right, yeah, I'm stuck in the circle. I'm stuck in the circle. <laughs> like what do I do? Like I don't know how to get out of this." And then it implores you to go find more secrets and just like go back and look and check. Oh, it's so good. I could talk about this game forever, and I am doing on this show. The, it's it's come up multiple times on the show, and I just I love talking about it. There are some games that maybe appear so much, and I'm like, oh yeah, we talk, you know, it's pretty rote, and we talked about this a lot. But Super Mario World just so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 one of my favorite games. Like, obvi- obviously, it's on the list. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you're gonna yeah, be playing. And then, well, and then forever. that's like. <laughs> That that's that's not even getting into the like all the different types of Yoshi's you could get. <laughs> like, well, speaking, so here's, speaking of Yoshi, actually, I don't know if you read. Um, there was an in- oh yeah, where, where he's hitting he's hitting Yoshi on the head. Yes. <laughs> so in the animation, so uh, the designer of the that that animation sprite, which is uh, Shigefume Hino, um, there was a there was an interview because of the Super Nintendo Mini Classic thing. They've done you know sort of a brand new interview with the designers of Super Mario World. And they're talking about the the animation, and it was translated by a friend of mine called Kyle, who uh, posted on Twitter about it. And they confirmed that when Yoshi like fires his tongue out, it's actually Mario like conking him right on the head to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, whap. <laughs> it does kind of look when you watch it like people think it's like him saying like go, like like thrusting his like fist forward in like a go motion. But no, he's actually just like bashing Yoshi on the head so Yoshi won't yeah. do it. <laughs> Grab that apple, you stupid dinosaur <laughs> alligator thing. <laughs> Which gives even more weight to Mario being a dick because not only is he like yeah. not only is he like punching Yoshi in the head, he can literally when he's not gonna make a jump, he can like kick right. Yoshi down into the caverns of below <laughs> to save himself. Yeah, it's like 
So long, friend. Thanks for the help. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Hope your head doesn't hurt too much and enjoy the hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> God, Barry was a dick in Super Mario World. Yeah, no, he, he really was. <laughs> I kind of feel like you should play as Bowser now. <laughs> maybe, maybe Bowser was justified. <laughs> Well, technically, if you buy the Super uh, Super Nintendo, I don't know why this show, Chris. For some reason, you you ended up choosing almost every game on the Super Nintendo Classic. Um, I know, if, right? If you were gonna pick up the Super Nintendo Classic or already have done, and you're playing all the amazing games that Chris has chosen, including the next game we're gonna talk about, you can also play uh, Super Mario RPG, where you can play as Bowser with Mario and Peach. So, man, Mario's a dick. Mario is a dick. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Super Mario RPG is a fantastic game, by the way. Like that—that's another one that could have easily gone on the list because that's uh, that's a really excellently well executed game. When I when I eventually get my Super Nintendo Classic from the UK sent to Japan, that is the first game I'm looking forward to playing again. I miss that game so much. Such a fantastic RPG. Once again, by Square back in the day. Oh, so good. So so good. But talking about so so good. I think it's about time we move into the last game on your list, Chris. The final game, in fact, um, before you sh- we ship you off to your field. Um, it's weird because you kind of need someone to sleep in this field, and I don't think there's too much room. Are you okay with, like, a sleeping bag? Is that cool? Yeah, I think it should be okay. I mean, it, it doesn't ever really rain there. No, it's so. always sunny, always blue skies in that yeah. field. <laughs> there yeah. is one so tree. So I might need something to cover my eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is one tree, so you could potentially build, like, a tree house. Yeah, that's yeah. See, there you go. I got it. I got I got a treehouse. I got made, green fields. You can make it. You can make a treehouse out of duck carcasses. Yeah, <laughs> out of duck bones. Of duck <laughs> It'll be so gruesome. It'll be so gruesome, and it will take you a very long time considering just how small ducks are. <laughs> yep, <laughs> so that's a lot of duck bones. But we're gonna move into the final game then on your list, Chris, and it's. I'm actually quite sad about it, actually, to ship you away. It's been such a pleasure listening to how passionate you are about all these wonderful games that you've chosen. But it is time that we move into Chris's final game. Once again, speaking of the Super Nintendo <laughs> Classic, we're going to jump into one of the best games for that system, one of the standout titles on the Super Nintendo, and one of the standout Zelda titles as well. A game once again developed same as Super Mario World by Nintendo EAD, directed once again by Takeshi Tezuka and produced by Shigeru Miyamoto. It featured music once again by Koji Kondo, just all of Nintendo's greats, but this time... Oh, hold, hold. Sorry, hold on a second. Yeah. They're doing an air show at the beach, like, two miles ah. away, so you're, <laughs> we might get some really loud noises. <laughs> that, the, the, that's it. That's the planes arriving to take you to the island. Yeah. 
the the, the field that the, they've come too early i i arranged like a yeah, plane yeah, right? to pick you up but i guess they came a little yeah. too, uh, <laughs> too uh, we we just need one more game planes. we just need one more game don't worry planes just hold on chotomate just wait a second because we're talking about zelda as well how can you interrupt when someone is talking about zelda but this is a game that released for the super nintendo back in 1991 a year after super mario world it is the action adventure game Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. The final game on Chris's list. Chris, A Link to the Past. Why is it the final game? Well, I mean, it's Zelda. You've got to have a Zelda game in there. And uh, this this was another one where I can just remember sitting on my bed, you know, playing this game till the early hours of the morning and uh, just exploring and, and going through this world. And, you know, you find a secret and you get the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, like, like that little chime music. <laughs> I mean, and just all the... Oh, hold on. There's, there's another plane. I can hear it. They're coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, so literally the flight path is like right over the top of our house for this air show. <laughs> and they're going to be having like some F-14s and F-15s on like full afterburner. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be inter- interesting. But um, yeah, no, Link to the Past was... It, it just... I, I just... I love the game. Like, again, like... This, the story the story was I'd say not as great as some of the other ones on my list but in Zelda it's more the exploration of the world itself like yes. the world is the story the world is finding the, story. the items yeah and, and just getting through the dungeons and trying to figure out okay what is the riddle of this dungeon how am I going to solve it and uh, yeah no it, it just I, I again another game I can go back and play like all of the games on my list are games that I can still go back and play and have a good time playing them absolutely and so we haven't, you know, we've spoken about, you know, the JRPGs, and we obviously this has been a very Super Nintendo heavy centric list, um, but we haven't really spoken about Nintendo games at all, apart from you know Super Mario World come right at the end. So you obviously were a huge fan of all these JRPGs back in the day, but were you also like, you know, a big fan of those Nintendo, like the huge Nintendo titles like Super Mario Kart, you know, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario World, or was it? basically just your jrpg console yeah no I, I definitely played the other ones too like i um i loved super mario kart uh we would <laughs> we would play that for hours on end at one of my friend's houses and um you know it was, it was just a blast like that was so so when i was in the league actually when um was it super mario kart or mario kart 7 i think for the ds was it 7 or 8 uh for um, the 3ds yeah for the 3DS. 7 I th- yeah, I think it was seven. Yeah, so um, on the Vikings, like, there were probably 20 guys on the team who had DSs and Super Mario Kart <laughs> for the sole purpose of racing against each other. <laughs> That's so, so cool. Oh, there. Wow. There's, it sounds, there's, sounds like you're being attacked. <laughs> there's full afterburner. <laughs> <laughs> we chose the perfect time to record uh, the show. We managed yeah. to just squeak you in. I'm trying to yeah. imagine now, like, wouldn't it be amazing, like, now being a player with the Switch? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, you could just take an entire console with you. But, um, yeah, guys were super into Super Mario Kart, and we'd have, like, team-wide tournaments on uh, on the plane when we were traveling to, you know, away games and stuff. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the really funny story was that um, 
so I originally didn't have a 3DS, and a, a bunch of the guys were saying, oh, Chris, you play tons of video games. You, know, you should get one. You should get one. You should play against us. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll get a 3DS, because I saw there were a bunch of other good 3DS games. I was like, okay, cool. This gives me an excuse to pick it up. So I got it. I grabbed a, you know Super Mario Kart, started playing against the guys, you know, hone, started honing my, my skills back to, to where they used to be. And then one day, um, we were on an away flight. Uh, I, th I think it was like Detroit or something like that. Um, they wanted to play Super Mario Kart for money. So I was like, <laughs> guys, I'm going to warn you <laughs> that I'm really, really good at this game. <laughs> They're like, no, no, we're, we want to play for money. $20 buy-in. So essentially, you know, eight people racing, 20 bucks per person. <laughs> not, not bad, not By bad. Yeah, not bad. Um, by the time we got to Detroit, I had made, I think it was like a 860 bucks, and uh, <laughs> they said, we're never playing you for money again. I was like, I warned you. I warned you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, Mario, Mario Kart was great. I think, but, um, I think the moral of today's podcast, today's episode has been, don't play games against Chris Cleary. Don't, don't, don't play NFL. Don't play, <laughs> don't play sports against him. Like, he can kick yeah, like... Well, no, no, I'm... I'm Sorry, go ahead. He can kick like 250 keepy ups in soccer. He can punt so well. And now he can like destroy you and take all your money and marry that. <laughs> well, it's like I love playing games against people, but if you want to play competitively, just bear in mind I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it might not end well. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you everyone is going to be safe from your reign of terror as a gamer because we are going to ship you away to the island now. Well, I keep saying island, but it's not an island. It's just a just a piece of grass essentially. It's a field with which you can build your duck house bones treehouse in the tree. But well, I mean the the field might be on an island. That's we don't know. Well, that's true. You're going to have to sort of explore around your surroundings and see if there's maybe some 3D depth to that field. I mean, if you're taking yeah. the if you're taking the Smash Brothers variant of it, there's a little more to it. You're taking this Yeah, there's a little bit to there's it. There's a little more to it. So, and it's a bit wider. That might be the better one to take with you. Uh, well, but but then you get risk then you risk getting punched in the head by like Peach and Link and but <laughs> all sorts of people. But it's going to be deserted. So, I think you're safe. The only problem Oh, okay, is yeah. Yeah, that's true. You if you roll off the platform with which it's on, then you die because it's smashed. Yeah. Players. So that's, that's Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's a little risky. That's a little risky. But then it's kind of just like water in a deserted island as well. So there's not too much difference to it. But anyway, we're getting too in depth to this, but we have to send Chris away now. So Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I I loved it and uh yeah, I I can talk video games all day any day. It's uh I they are definitely a part of my life. <laughs> and they're going to be forever cuz they're going to be the only thing you have. So Chris, yep, cuz I'm trapped here. <laughs> Save me. <laughs> Chris, there is one last question I have to ask you, which is the same question I ask all my guests before I send them away. And I think for you, I think the answer is going to be pretty easy, I think. Or unless you're going to like throw a curveball at me here. We talk a lot about games on Final Games, of course, and you just mentioned you could talk about video games forever. But I, one thing I think that's super important um, to playing video games is the way we play them, in, in which we play them, the consoles in which we play them on. So, you know, you're going to take eight games with you to a deserted island. Um, but if you could only take one console 
with you. Bearing in mind, you can't take PC, so you, your emulator, <laughs> your emulator is not allowed because you can emulate anything. Curse is spoiled. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can game the system, but you can't game me. Um, so if you can take any console with you, uh, bearing in mind the back catalog on that console, what console would you take? Well, I mean, based on my list, it has to be the Super Nintendo. Like, <laughs> I think what eight eight of my games are Super Nintendo games. I think somewhere around there. I think or no, six six of my six, games are Super Nintendo. Yeah, games? six of the eight are, are Super Nintendo titles. Yeah, so so I think I think the Super Nintendo is a pretty pretty obvious choice there. And and there's still a bunch of games that like I didn't even mention that were on Super Nintendo. So yeah, I think I think I'm fairly safe with the uh, with the SNES. Yeah, and this would allow you to like play Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy IV and all those other wonderful titles you didn't. Quite might get to squeak in. Yeah. Excellent. Lots of choices. Well, you can take your eight games with you. Oh. You can take the noisy planes with you as well. Sorry. <laughs> More afterburners. <laughs> you can take the noisy planes with you and the Super Nintendo. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. So please tell the wonderful people who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet. Um, and maybe anything of yours they should be checking out. Like a book or a sure. board game or a band or whatever it is of all the wonderful things that you do. Yay, pitch time. I love pitch time. <laughs> it's, all right, so um, you can find me on Twitter, at Chris Warcraft. Um, I have written several books, uh, one of which is called Beautifully Unique Sparkle Ponies on myths, morons, free speech, football, and assorted absurdities. Um, that one's a collection of short stories and essays. Uh, probably the closest you'll get to being inside my mind, so buyer beware. Uh, the other one <laughs> is called Prime, a Genesis series event. That one's a science fiction novel that I wrote with my buddy uh, Andy Reiner, and um, we just finished up the sequel to that. Uh, it's not out yet, but we're hoping to have it out by the end of the year. That one's going to be called Splice. Ooh. Um, I am the uh, lead designer of a tabletop card game called Twilight of the Gods. Uh, if you are a disaffected magic player that is tired of unfun situations arising in your game, you'll probably want to check out Twilight of the Gods. <laughs> because <laughs> our main design philosophies are everyone gets to play with their toys and players always have meaningful choice. So there are no infinite extra turns, no permission decks, no getting mana screwed or mana flooded, but you will have plenty of options to choose from. So uh, yeah, if you want to give that a look, um, that's at totggame.com. And um, I'm in a band, too, uh, Tripping Icarus, uh, along with Andy Reiner again and a couple other guys. Um, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Bandcamp, and I think generally any other online music services that are there. So, yeah, I do I do a lot of different stuff. Yes, you <laughs> certainly do. You have a lot of excellent stuff going on, a lot of cool stuff. And you should definitely follow Chris on Twitter as well. Um, very interesting stuff about games and also about America's political climate as well and stuff like that. You should definitely follow Chris. So thank you so much to Chris for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having him. And thank you so much to you for listening to this episode of Final Games. Obviously, we have switched the schedule to now a two-week rotor. So thank you so much for sticking with us and joining us after two weeks. As always, you can find Final Games on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Acast and Stitcher. And if you are on any of those wonderful networks, please go ahead and follow and rate and review and do all those wonderful normal social things that we do in this days to society of the internet. You can also follow me on Twitter at LiamBME and you can also find the show at Final Games Show. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games and I hope to see you again next time. And until then, thank you to Chris and... Goodbye.